Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Well, in 2012, Scientific American published a study that claimed the human nature was basically good. Now, I don't know about you, but I wonder if these people had kids, okay? Um, don't know. You know, who, who needs to teach? Uh, does it, do you have to teach a, a two-year-old or a three-year-old to be selfish? No, their natural bent is, is that way. And you're excited and you're proud whenever some good does come out. The problem is that there's lots of evidence to the contrary to, to this study that was done. Uh, you simply have to look at the news, and I don't care which network you watch, almost all of it is bad news. And no offense to, to journalism majors, but I know that the mantra they teach in journalism is if it, if it bleeds, it leads. That's what they tell them in journalism school. The news is filled with people committing atrocities and, and other evils. And so the question is, how can you say that people are basically good? Or if you consider social media, with the advent of, of the internet and, and cell phone cameras, the internet is flooded with video and, and photo evidence of people recording and, and posting, <clears throat> proudly posting their evil for other people to see. And this raises the question, I got an email day before yesterday from someone who's not here now, but they do come down sometimes during the winter, Sky Valley. They're very upset about what's going on in Ukraine and questioning about the evil that's going on. And it's an age-old question, philosophical question, but it's also a spiritual question. You know, where does this evil come from? And at one time, we thought extraordinary evil was, was only done by extraordinarily evil people, like the, the Charles Mansons of the world. Now we know that that's not true. James Walter published a book titled, Becoming Evil, How Ordinary People Commit Genocide and Mass Killing. And the thesis of his book is that history proves that ordinary people like you, like me, have the, the capacity, have the capacity for extraordinary evil. And we see it with surprising frequency. In light of this, you know, we should never say, well, I would never do that. Instead, we should say, if it wasn't for God's grace... That could be me. Ordinary people like you and like me have the capacity to do extraordinarily evil things. And with so much evil in the world, even from common people, we might wonder where all this evil comes from. In 2007, Philip Zimbardo wrote a book titled The Lucifer Effect, Understanding How Good People Turn Evil. And his thesis was that human evil is caused by our environment. That we do evil things, but it's not our fault. It's, we, it's our parents' fault, or it's our environment's fault. It's our boss's fault. You know, it's trying to put it on, on everybody else rather than assuming responsibility for ourselves. If we're not faithful to our spouses in marriage, we can say that it's not our fault. They didn't love me the way that I needed to be loved. If we steal from work, we can say, well, my boss isn't paying me enough. And so we're getting these messages from the, from the society, from the, the culture, that it's everybody else's fault except for mine. Now, can we just blame the evil choices we make on our environment or the environment around us, the people around us, uh, so that we're not at fault, so that we can just shirk the responsibility of it? Well, I believe the answer is no. 
Because according to the Bible, the problem of evil in this world and why we choose evil is not something that we can blame it on everybody else. Although that's what happened there in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned there in the garden, they took the forbidden fruit. Adam said, the, the woman that you gave me. So who, who did Adam blame first off? <laughs> who did he blame? He blamed God. He didn't blame the woman. He said, the woman that you gave me. He blamed God. That's our first default response. Of course, then the woman blamed the serpent. Had she been told, don't partake of the fruit of, of this tree? Yes, but it was a serpent's fault. And then you have Flip Wilson comes along you know, thousands of, year, of years later, and he says, the devil made me do it. And we laugh at it, but it's a, it's a, it's a cop-out. The Bible says that, that, that we choose evil. It says that the problems in the world don't come from outside of us. They come from the heart that is within us. And I'm going to define heart for you in just a couple minutes. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And in James 1, 14, it says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Now, the Bible says the problem of evil in this world and the problem of evil in our lives comes from inside of us. Human evil doesn't come from outside of what is done to us. And, and all sin and all evil is a choice that we make. Each of us, as I've said, is, is capable of horrendous acts of evil. Each one of us has this capacity. And the potential of that kind of wickedness, it, it resides in each one of our hearts. And the problem, though, is that society doesn't necessarily believe that. They want to blame our sin on someone else or something else. The world tells us sin comes from toxic circumstances or the people around us, whereas the Bible says it's from the toxic nature of our deceitful hearts. Now, the question of the source of evil is, is not a new one, as I said, it, it, and neither is the answer nor the cure. And we're making our way through the Gospel of Mark. I think we're in the 21st week this week, and this morning we're in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. Last week in the verses just prior to this, we saw Jesus was approached by the, the esteemed scribes and, and the, the religious leaders, the, the, the people that studied all the, all the corpus of, of Jewish teaching from the Torah down to the Midrash, and we went through all of that, how they got that, and how they got away off track from the, the law, the Word of God. And they were trying to trap him. And they couldn't find anything wrong that Jesus was doing or that he was teaching and so they found fault with Jesus' disciples for not keeping the traditions of the elders. They weren't keeping the traditions. And again, we went through all that. We saw how they placed the traditions even higher than Scripture itself. They critiqued the disciples for, for not eating with, with hands that were washed in the ritually acceptable way of washing them. They ate with unclean hands. Jewish scribes of Jesus, they were obviously not affected by the, the thoughts of modern psychologists they were like modern psychologists in that they misunderstood the basic truth about the source of corruption in the world. They thought corruption came from outside. They didn't recognize that it came from inside. And they thought that as long as they fenced off the impurities uh, from the outside world, uh, such as the avoiding eating shellfish or avoiding being around people that weren't covenant people, people that weren't Jews, they figured if they did that, they could keep themselves pure. And that's the same thinking of modern psychologists who blame evil on the environment around folks. But the problem is, while these ancient scribes blamed evil on the world around them, just like modern psychologists, they ignored this clear teaching of the Scripture that we're going to look at today, that evil in the world comes from the corruption of human hearts. 
Now, when I say hard, I'm not talking about the two-thirds pound muscle that pumps inside of our chest, carrying blood to our body. According to Dallas Willard, spirit is the heart of the human system. It's the core of one's being. It is that part of us that exercises our will, that originates things and events that would not otherwise be or occur. That's what we're talking about when, the, when we talk about the heart, not the physical flesh inside of our chest. And this heart that, that, that's talking about that will, it has the power to do good, and it has the power to do evil. And the verses we're going to look at today can be broken into two sections. The first section is Jesus giving a teaching or a parable, and in the second, he's going to give an explanation of that parable, that teaching. The first is the parable. Again, it says, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and and understand this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, this is likely the same crowd that we saw back in the first verse of of Mark chapter 7. At that time, as I said, Jesus was talking primarily to scribes and Pharisees with a crowd around him. They were listening in. People like to listen into these debates between religious teachers. And this crowd who was gathering in, Jesus says, hey, listen to me, y'all. I want you to understand this. You know, that's the Hebrew way of, of saying, hey, you need to learn to perk up your ears. This is very important. Everybody should have leaned in. They should have, they, they should have paid attention here. And he says that there's nothing outside a person that goes into them that makes them unclean. Now, that may not sound radical to us, but this was radical thinking in their eyes, or in their ears, rather. He says it's these things that are inside a person that come out. Those are the things that corrupt them. And the Pharisees described, you know, they said that eating with unwashed hands could lead to spiritual impurity before God because eating something with your unwashed hands, let that impurity get in because you didn't rinse the impurity off of your hands. Now, both the Jewish leaders and modern psychologists thought that people were basically good and, and that all sin in man comes from something or someone external to the individual. But Jesus is saying that, that corruption doesn't come from eating unclean food or from eating with unwashed hands or by rubbing elbows with a Gentile or or with a Samaritan. No, he says the filth that offends God comes from inside of us. It comes from our very hearts. More than anything outside of us, God cares about what's going on in our hearts. And this was nothing new. We saw this in, um, if you go back and look at the Old Testament in 1 Samuel, Chapter 16 is as Samuel the prophet is being sent by God to choose the king. Israel demanded to have a king. And they, he said, well, you sure about this? You sure you want a king? And Samuel warned them about the things that a king would do. And they said, no, we want a king. We want to be like all the other, all the other nations. And so they got Saul. And we knew how, how he turned out. And so Samuel sent to anoint the next king, even while Saul's still in office. And the Lord says to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? At the heart. And Proverbs 21 tells us, All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. And this raises a good question. The the, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were concerned with all these external regulations of the law while they completely disregarded the state of people's hearts. They were pointing fingers at the disciples when they had already decided back in chapter 3 of Mark that they wanted to kill Jesus. 
Last week we learned that the scribes and the Pharisees had all these external rules and, and regulations. And, and the question that gets begged here is if, if what God really cares about is the heart, then why did God, because some of these things did start out there in the Old Testament, why did God give so many external rules and regulations for his people to follow in the Old Testament? Why did God say that people were unclean if they, if they touched a reptile? Why did God say touching a dead body would make them unclean? Why was a woman ritually unclean for a time after childbirth? And if you touched someone that was considered unclean, then you were considered unclean. Someone such as a, such as a foreigner, someone that was a, was a Gentile or a Samaritan. Well, what was the purpose of all these rules that God gave them when what really matters is the heart? Well, here's the point. These external requirements were meant to be symbolic and temporary in nature. They were not to replace the purity of the heart, but to remind people of the importance of purity of the heart. These Old Testament prohibitions were to teach God's people about holiness in the same way that we teach a child to read. If you teach a child how to read, you don't take a 700-page copy of War and Peace in the English translation and hand it to a kid and tell him to start reading it. They can't do that. What do we start with? We start with C. Dick, C. Jane, C. Dick Run. You know, I can't remember the dog's name, but anyway, you know what I mean. You start, you start, with, those, you start with those early kind of, of, of books. You know, that's how we start. That's, um, that's probably how all, all of us learned to read, was with those early things that had picture books, and you saw the pictures that kept your attention, you looked, and, and, and you got that. And we've, we've said during this teaching, this, this series for the past four or five months, we've said that, that Mark is kind of the C. Dick, C. Dick run version of the gospel. You know, Mark's very short. He's moving very quickly through this. No, we give them the picture books, the kids. They, the kids learn to read by pictures and, and symbols and to help them understand. In a similar way, the Old Testament rituals and ceremonies were given to as temporary pictures. They were shadows. They were, they were symbols of the spiritual reality of sin before God. They were not meant to replace purity of the heart, but ultimately to point to the importance of purity of the heart. And the author of Hebrews in the New Testament, when he's writing to the Jews, he says this about the temporary nature of the Old Testament symbols and ceremonies. Speaking of these things, in chapter 9 he says this, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying what? Until. Applying until the time of the new order. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, well, that new order is here. The new order came in Jesus Christ. They had a temporary role to play until the coming of Christ. They were the primer, if you will, the basic illustrations. And all of these Old Testament rules and, 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 and everything were pointing to Christ, and they were fulfilled once Christ came. That's why when we come to the New Testament, all these Old Testament ceremonies, the rituals, the hand washings, they went away after Jesus. They weren't the real issue. Jesus is the real issue. Those things pointed forward to Jesus, and the heart is what matters, not these external ceremonies and avoiding certain foods. Unfortunately, the Jews in Jesus' day were careful to follow these external symbols, but they ignored the inward realities of what they pointed to. We looked at an example of Corbin last week and how, how they took God's law, what God had said about you know, honoring your father and your mother, and they had figured out ways around that and missed totally the mark of what God's law was teaching. And so that's why Jesus said this about them in Matthew. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Now, you want a word picture? Think about that. I was born in New Orleans, and there, because of the water table, everybody's born above, or born, buried above, hopefully they're born above ground, but they're buried above ground. And, and so you have all these ornate tombs in the cemeteries above ground, and you can see, and they're all clean and all that, but there's dead person's bones inside of them. There's decay inside of them. And that's the word picture Jesus is trying to say here for these guys. He said, you're pious on the outside. You look pious by going through all these rituals that you have, wearing the right clothes, obeying all the rules, all the special feasts and stuff like that. But the problem is your heart is wicked. Your heart is filthy, he's saying. It reeks of sin. And these were the same guys, as I said before, who were plotting the death of Jesus very early on in this gospel. The same is true today. God cares about our hearts more than he cares about how we look on the outside. He cares about whether we come to church. He cares about whether we give. He cares about whether we serve. But he cares more about our hearts. Because I'm sure we've all known, and probably most of us have been guilty at one time or another, of doing things not motivated out of a heart for God when it comes to, to worship and to giving and to serving. Most of us, if we're honest, we've probably done something every once in a while out of motivation to be seen, out of motivation to try and impress the pastor or try to impress our, our, our small group or try to impress our spouse or some other people. But God says the heart is what matters. All that other stuff, it doesn't matter if your heart's not right. Now, I want to pause for a minute with that thought. And if you're following along, like I see a couple Bibles opened out there. I, I know I, 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 I spoon feed folks here and I, I make it easy for you because I put all, all scripture up on the screen. But I need to point out here that, ver- and that's okay. I see Tom's got his Bible. Kudos to you, Tom. Makes you, makes you better in God's eyes, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I know why you have it here. You're making sure I'm following right. Which version do you have there? NIV. Okay. Verse 15, what does it say? Oh, okay. He was, he was on some other chapter. Okay. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Okay, read verse 16 in the NIV. Oh, there's no 16. It goes to 17, doesn't it? Thank you. You helped me illustrate this. I was hoping somebody here would have one. There's no verse 16 in the NIV, nor will you find in the ESV and some of our modern translations, okay? And I, want to ex- I just want to take a minute away from our main study this morning to explain this, because a lot of people don't necessarily, like, wait a minute, is there a misprint here? I'm going to take it back to the Christian bookstore and get my money back or something. There's a, there's a scripture missing. Well, there is a verse 16 in the King James, which was the dominant, the dominant English language translation for hundreds of years. King James Bible came along in, in 1611. It was commissioned by King Jimmy there in, in England, back in the mother country. And in the King James, or the authorized version, as some people like to call it, it says this, it says, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. That's in there. But what happened is as our, as our modern, more modern translations came along, scholarship came, we found manuscripts that were closer to the time of Jesus, more ancient manuscripts in the Greek that were closer to the time that didn't include this verse in it. And so that's why you, when you have a, uh, an NIV or, or a more modern translation, it isn't there. Now some of the King Jimmy people will say, ah, see, they take, they take Scripture out. 
Well, they don't understand the more modern translations are using older manuscripts that didn't have that there. So at some point along the way, some scribe, Jesus had said this in some places, and some scribe that was writing and copying the, the, the manuscript probably, hey, this would be a good place to remind these people. If you have ears to hear, you need to hear. And so it made it into it. But then later, a couple hundred years later, we went to do these modern translations, and it wasn't there. I remember seeing a Bible sticker, or Bible sticker, bumper sticker, I guess it was a Bible sticker, on someone's car once that said, if it ain't King James, it's not the Bible. Yeah, if it's good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. Okay. So let's, let's go ahead and, and move on to the next section here. The interpretation or the explanation. What goes into a person cannot make him unclean before God. In verse 17, as I asked Tom to go and read, it says, After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Remember I told you? I told you the disciples, they don't look too good here on out. Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And, and then a parenthetical remark Mark concludes here. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now at this point, Jesus had left the scribes and he'd entered the house the crowds, the Pharisees were left behind. Probably Peter in Andrew's house there in Capernaum. And we saw earlier in, in the Gospel of Mark that, that Jesus used that house as his base of oper operations when he was there. And oftentimes in Mark, when Jesus enters the house, it indicates a, a shift in focus. And he moved from teaching the crowds in public to training his disciples in the house. And almost every time Jesus went in a house, it was to teach his disciples something beyond what he just taught to the crowds. The disciples claim that they don't understand. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. And personally, I think the disciples, I think they understood exactly what he was saying. But the problem was that he was teaching something that was contradictory, totally contradictory to what they'd heard in the synagogues, what they'd been taught in their, in their homes their entire lives. And so it was hard for them to, to change their, their mindset here, much as it's hard for us sometimes to unlearn something and to change our mindset. They couldn't wrap their, their minds around the words that Jesus was saying. And basically, Jesus explained it this way. He said, food can't corrupt you. Food can't corrupt you. It enters the mouth. It goes down to the stomach, but it doesn't go to the heart. And then it's eventually expelled. The food we eat cannot soil our hearts with sin. It's the attitude, the affections, the priorities, the ambitions, the desires of the heart. That's what reveals sin. Eating with unwashed hands is not evil. Now, there's a break in this story here. As I said, there's a, there's a parenthetical comment that Mark has where he says, In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, there's some interesting background at this point because as, as I've been teaching you, we know who Mark's source was, do we not? It was who? It was Peter. Mark's source was Peter. John Mark is writing this gospel. He's writing Peter's firsthand eyewitness accounts of the time that Peter spent with Jesus. And Peter struggled with this. He didn't just struggle with this when this happened there, but Peter in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is, is, is on a rooftop and he's praying. And God brings down a, a, a sheet, like a, like a sheet in front of Peter. And it's got all these animals on it that, according to the Old Testament, were prohibited. You couldn't eat them. And so Peter's, 
you know, like, what's going on here? And the Lord says, I want you to get up and I want you to eat. And he's, Peter's like, no, 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 no. Lord, I, I followed all those Old Testament things that you said, and, and I can't eat this stuff. And God did this not once, not twice, but three times the sheet came down from heaven in front of Peter. And then God tells Peter, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And very shortly after that, there's a knock on the door of the house that Peter's staying in, and it's some Gentiles, some unclean people that have been sent by their boss, a centurion, to go get Peter because this centurion had had a vision, and God wanted Peter to come minister to this centurion. And so through this sheet experience, God told Peter, you need to go with these guys and talk to that centurion. And that uh, passage in Acts where he goes there and, and the Spirit comes and all we call that, in biblical studies we call that the, the Gentile Pentecost. And that's when the Spirit came to the Gentiles. Years later, uh, Peter's in Antioch and he's got some pressure for some Jews. And they're pressuring him to follow the Jewish traditions and Peter does do that. And we know from Galatians 2, Paul talks there about how he chastised Peter for that. He said, Peter, Remember the master said everything's clean, so why are, you, why are you trying to be a Jew again just to show off for these Jewish folks? Why are you being a hypocrite? I'm glad that doesn't happen in churches today. <laughs> so approximately 15 years later, Peter's in Rome. He's telling these stories to John Mark, and he's writing them down. And I can picture Peter reciting this incident to Mark. And, and Peter stopped and said with a, with a smile on his face, that's where the master declared all food's clean. But the problem was I was a slow learner. I was kind of a knucklehead. He had to teach me a couple more times for me to get it through my, through my thick head. That's where I should have figured it out, he probably said to Mark. And I tell you this because occasionally, occasionally you'll see a book in a Christian bookstore uh, that tells that you know, we should go back to the Old Testament diet because that's, that's how you get God's blessing is by, by following the Jewish diet of back then. And no, no. If, now, if God tells you, if God convicts you, if the Holy Spirit convicts you not to eat lobster, send it to me, okay? Because I have no conviction about not eating lobster, okay? If God convicts you, that's, that's, that's fine for you. But don't try to project it on everybody else and think that God's going to bless you more because you followed some external law from the Old Testament. What matters is the defilement of our hearts, not what we eat, not what we touch, or the environment that we live in. Jesus went on to say, what comes out of a person is what makes him unclean before God. It says in verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. That's a pretty long list, isn't it, folks? He says all of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. He gives a, a list, and, and I don't think this is necessarily, it's a long list, but I don't think it's necessarily an exhaustive list. There's surely other things that could be added to this list, but all of these things come out of the heart. None of them come from eating with unwashed hands or, or rubbing elbows with a Gentile in the local market. And these can be sinful acts, or they can be sinful attitudes. You know, evil thoughts, you know, this is a general term. It refers to the way that, that we think inside of our minds. You know, the Bible says that our thought lives are filled with evil thoughts. We can deny it if we want to, but they're there. You know, imagine if I had a machine. Uh, let's imagine like a football helmet up here. That, that If I had you put it on your, on your head and you were sitting there, that all your thoughts would be projected up on this screen. Any volunteers want to? 
Any volunteers want, want to wear it? You know, I sure hope he gets done here quickly, you know. You know, I think he's, I think he's out to lunch. I'm, I'm offended by the fact that he bashed the King James. No, I didn't bash the King James. I just explained the scholarship behind the King James. Our unedited thoughts, thoughts can be pretty sinful at times. We're constantly thinking lustful things, vengeful things, hurtful things. Uh, if you drive down the freeway, don't deny it. Now, where do these come from? It doesn't come from eating bacon in the morning. Bacon's good. If God convicts you not to eat bacon again, send it my way. Okay? <laughs> Evil thoughts, sexual immorality. This is from the Greek word porneia. And from that we get our English word pornography, writings or, or, or uh, visions of it. It refers to any sexual expression outside of a man and woman within the context of marriage. Theft. This is the Greek word klepto, which is the root word for kleptomaniac in English. Someone who, who compulsively steals. Thievery doesn't come from poverty, as, as, as some sociologists want to make us think. They're poor people who never steal. Thievery comes from our, from, our, from our heart. Murder, when people take others' lives by murder, it's because of the desire, to them. It, it comes out of the heart. Uh, nobody makes you murder. Adultery, a subset of sexual immorality, involves the breaking of the marriage covenant through intimacy with somebody else. And no one forces you to commit adultery. It's the, your heart that, that leads you to into that. Greed, the root cause of all of our materialism is the sin of greed in our hearts. And, and we don't understand that stuff doesn't make us happy in life. I know a lot of people that have a lot of stuff, but they're not happy with it. Stuff isn't what makes us happy. Deceit, lying, not telling the truth, and lies of omission are just the same as lies of commission. If you withhold the truth, if you, if you tell a story in a way without telling the whole story, that you're trying to manipulate someone and get them to think something some way. Lewdness, which means living for what feels good. Remember that old saying back in, I think it was the early 60s, if it feels good, do it. Lewdness. Envy. Envy literally translated means an evil eye. It's looking at other people with hatred and, and jealousy because they have something that you don't have. Slander. Abusive language and speech. When someone swears at you or yells at you and, or gives you the universal sign of discontent in, in, in traffic. That's never something that you actually made them do. Now, they may be upset with your, with your driving or something, but what's coming out is their heart. It's coming out as your heart. Arrogance, pride, feelings of superiority, that you're better than other people instead of that you can be a servant to other people, looking how you can serve them in humility. And then finally, folly or, or foolishness. This is, refers to someone who lacks the proper fear or respect of God. He or she is therefore prone to go in the wrong wrong direction in life with the relationship with God and the relationship with man. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, none of these things come from not ritually washing your hands or from eating shellfish or from not properly observing some religious holiday. These are external things that can never put evil in our hearts, but what they do is they, re they reveal the evil coming out of our hearts, the evil that's already there within us. And just as there's nothing we can eat can put evil into our hearts, there's nothing that we can physically do that can clean the evil out of our hearts. Perfect attendance pins at church will not clean your heart. A big offering put in the bucket will not cleanse your heart, but if you want to give, go ahead and give. I hope you're giving because God prompted you to. Volunteering hundreds of hours in, in service will not clean your heart. What matters most to God is your heart itself, the wickedness that's in it, and having it changed. And so the question gets asked, you know, well, then what can we do? 
And that, my friends, is where there, there's good news. God offers a new heart through Jesus Christ. God offers a new heart through Jesus Christ. And he told, he told us this way before Jesus was even born there in Bethlehem. In the Old Testament, God promised that there was coming a day when he was going to give us new hearts. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So how do we get new hearts? Where do these new hearts come from? It's, it's not on Amazon Prime and it's, it's not down at Walmart. You know, all of us are desperate to, to have one because we're constantly struggle with this ev- struggling with this evil in our hearts. And the Bible says that when you turn to Christ and you trust Christ, not only does Jesus forgive our sin, but he gives you a new heart that loves Jesus more than you love your sin. God changes us from the inside out. When we trust in Christ, he, he forgives us. He sends a spirit into our lives and gives us this new heart. Titus 3 says this, He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So this rebirth and renewal, what does that mean? Well, it means something dies and something new is born. It's the death of our old hearts that delight in sin and rebirth of our new hearts which delight in this relationship with God. And, and it calls us to avoid sin. He changes us from the inside out. Now, some people, you know, today you, you, you talk to them, they think society is the problem. If we just had better education, if we just had better teachers or we had better politicians, that's kind of an oxymoron maybe, had someone, you know, if we had lower taxes or someone different in the White House, everything would be perfect. No, it wouldn't, because we would still have the same hearts that we have. The Bible says the real problem in this world are from inside of us, not from outside. The good news is God has a solution. When we come to him through Jesus and we get these new hearts, this does not mean, listen to this, it does not mean that we're not going to struggle with sin. We're going to struggle with sin until we take our last breath on this earth. But God calls us to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son as we more, become more and more like Jesus, more and more like Christ. You've heard me say it before, God's more concerned with your character than he is your comfort. He wants us to become more and more like his son. Well, in closing, three things that I think we need to understand in light of this. The first is you can eat whatever you like. Unless the Holy Spirit's told you, don't eat bacon this, during these 40 days, go ahead and eat it. Praise Jesus that he made it possible that you can eat what you like. Secondly, God cares about what I think, not just what I do. God cares about what I think, not just what I do. He cares about our thought lives, not just our actions. Now, evil actions are bad, but evil thoughts matter to God just as much. Sometimes, maybe even more so. He doesn't just care about what we do. He cares about our hearts and what we think. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if a, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus is pointing out the, the, the importance of guarding your heart. So don't call it the trap of thinking that you can, you can do all this stuff inside your mind and in, inside yourself and not act out on it and everything's okay. It's not. Because I guarantee you, sooner or later, it will come out. 
The third thing is God offers us a new heart that loves Jesus more than sin. We just need to accept that heart that he offers. And that heart is gotten through confessing our sin, through trusting Jesus as our Savior. And this isn't just some fire insurance, um, some policy that you keep so that the day you die, you, hey, okay, see, Peter, let me through the gate. No. The, the, the life that God wants you to live, this new heart, it starts right now. It starts here on this earth as slowly, 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 your work in progress. I think that every Christian should have a, a sign that they wear that says, under construction. <laughs> under construction. Because we're all under construction. Hopefully becoming more and more. And some of us, yeah, we might take two or three steps towards being more like Jesus, and then we might take two steps backward. Three or four, then one step backward. Sometimes it may be six steps backward. But it's that new heart and the power of the Holy Spirit working on us that keeps drawing us more and more towards that high calling in Christ Jesus that God has in store for each of us. Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mole and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at sv. MIN.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day!